Today's teaching text comes from 1 Peter 1, 13 through 25. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. So there are some aspects of our lives uh, that are up for grabs. Uh, You might say there is something of a contest going on for these aspects of our lives, although who is competing for them is not necessarily always obvious to us. But whoever or whatever gains control of these certain issues things in in our life will be able to wield quite a bit of control over us. In fact, the the way these things go, what shapes them, will be a significant uh, factor in determining how your life goes. Even more so than uh, the job you have, or who you marry, or where you live, or how much uh, you have in the bank. I'm talking about your attention, I'm talking about your desires, and I'm talking about what you place your love on. And I think these things are, are related. Uh, we could probably have a good conversation about them. You should have a good conversation about them in, in, the, small, in the small groups that, that we've just started uh, to, to study this together. But What you give, think about this with me, what you give your mind to think on, what your mind regularly settles on, what grabs your mind's attention will shape your moments and therefore will shape your days. What shapes your days uh, through your attention will begin to shape your longings the things that you want, and it will also begin to order the hierarchy of your longings, the hierarchy of the things that you want. So what you give your mind's attention to is going to begin to shape your days, and, and, and uh, what, what shapes your days, your thoughts, your attention is going to shape the things that you want and how you order 
what you want. And so if we're breaking it down, the hierarchy of the things that we want is a way of understanding our love. What, what, what we want most is something uh, closely connected to what we love. So you just begin to think about that in your own life. What has my attention? <laughs> what is being formulated and what I actually, not what people hear me say or even what maybe I say to myself, but what do I actually want most? And then how is that shaping what I love? And I think there's something cyclical uh, about these things and about the contest or, or the way that, uh, you know, our, our world comes to bear on them. I might say, my love is for this person. My love is for this person or for these people, for you. They are my highest priority, my love. And so when we talk about love, we're not just talking about affection or or lust or or, or a temporary desire. We're not just talking about affirming something someone believes in. We're talking about truly, deeply wanting the very best for that person. For for these people who I, I say have my love, I want their peace I want their safety, I want their joy, I want their well-being, I want what the scriptures call their shalom, uh, more than anything else in my life. But still, on the daily, I have many other desires that compete with that love. And my desires are shaped by my attention. So you see the cycle a little bit. I may, I may say I love God. I do. I say I love God. I'm going to come out and confess to you guys. Here I have the Britney Spears microphone. I'm, I'm pastoring this church. I love God. Thank you. Thank you. But, there, but there's a, a contest for my conscious attention. For your consciousness, have you ever had, you know, I had this declaration that I love God, but have you ever had a couple of days go by and you look up and you realize, oh, I haven't really thought about God at all today or yesterday. So I haven't consciously desired God. I haven't been aware of loving God. So I'm not mentioning these things to, um, to start a sort of shame cycle in your head or your heart. I'm just, I'm hoping that we can notice together the stakes of where our attention our desires and our love are directed. Attention, desire, love. In 1890, in the Principles of Psychology, uh, a, a, a source on which a lot of our sort of modern practice in, in psychology is based, William James said very succinctly, my experience is what I agree to attend to. My experience is what I agree to attend to. Or my life becomes what I pay attention to. My life becomes what I pay attention to. In 2016, Tim Wu wrote a book called The Attention Merchants. The subtitle was The Epic Scramble to Get Inside Our Heads. And Tim Wu said, The battle for attention is the first battle in everything. And those who have mastered the techniques of getting attention by all means necessary have a massive advantage. Just think about that as it relates to your spiritual life, maybe our American political life. So much power comes in what is able to get our attention. In 2018, Maura Thomas, writing for the Harvard Business Review, said that if you want to have more control in your life, more control in your organization, more control in your community, you have to pay very, very careful attention to the technology that you allow there, 
the environment that you're fostering, the behaviors that become regular, and the things that you think and meditate on. What we, let, what we let play out in those arenas is going to shape our lives so much more than our best intentions. And that should be a little bit of a wake-up call for us. 2018, and actually just a bit before that, writing to first century scattered followers of this Jewish pe- peasant Jesus in what is now modern day Turkey, there was a retired fisherman, a somewhat reluctant apostle, Simon turned Peter, who said, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on grace. Do not conform to the evil desires that you had in your previous empty way of life and love one another deeply from the heart. So this first century fisherman turned apostle knew what these experts are are, are catching up with and and saying now that uh, guided by the Holy Spirit, he was able to say there is a profound contest in the world for your attention, for your desires, and for the thing mind on. What I want on a daily basis, what I have come to truly want most, what I have come to call my love. So we said this last week, Peter is writing to these followers of Jesus who are, who are facing Im- immense difficulty and suffering, and he, he begins with what we heard last week. He begins this letter um, to, to comfort them, to give them perspective, to give them hope by reminding them who they are. This is who Jesus and your faith in Jesus, this is what that has made you into. And he gave us this unbelievable sentence, in his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead into an inheritance that can never uh, perish, spoil, or fade. If you missed last week, go back. We, We just did a meditation on those things. New birth into living, active, granular hope, a share in the resurrection of Jesus. Whatever it means that Jesus was raised from the dead, he was the firstborn of a new type of humanity that we have a share in, and an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. So Peter begins by reminding the church who they are, and this is really important. Then he goes on to say, this has to come to bear in the details of your life, in what you think about, Who you are has to come to bear in what you think about, in what you want, and in how you love. So he's essentially saying who you are has to become what you do. Your God-given identity has to become your Holy Spirit-shaped character. Because Peter knew something that we all, I think, intuitively, if we were to give some reflection on it, have experienced, is that sometimes pain and suffering have a way of splitting what we have said we want to be about from our actual daily lives. Sometimes pain and suffering have a way of tearing apart who our, de- our declared identity from the actual habits and actions and rhythms of our days. And so he's saying, no, 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 hang on, church, hang on, church. You've got to know who you are. You have to know who you are. You have to remember that you're beloved, that you're, that you're given new birth, living hope, sharing the resurrection, uh, inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, because that has to come to bear on what your Wednesday looks like. It's got to inform how you live. Now, the order 
is massively, massively important. It is what makes Christianity, Christianity. It's what makes the gospel good news. If you look at the New Testament letters over and over and over again, you get this very order. They're lifting up the gospel of grace, a freely given identity, an an adoption that, that metaphors go on and on. You're brought into the family by what Jesus has done. His life, death, and resurrection is your hope, is your life, is your life, death, and resurrection. So identity then flows into a life, a life that flows out of that identity. So over and over, here's who you are, and this is what it needs to look like. Now, if that order was reversed, it would mean something significant. Basically, if it was like, get your life in this particular order, and then you'll be given this identity, that's a different type of gospel. That's a different type of religious system. Follow this pathway, and you'll be given these blessings. Obey these things, and then you'll be loved. But that's not the gospel. We don't live a certain way to get God's grace. We live in the way of Jesus because we have received God's grace, and that grace comes to shape our life. And so if you haven't got it by now, you're probably at the granular, at the granular level that shapes up to be what I give my attention to. Now we're getting real. What do you give your attention to? What do you want on the daily? And what do you want most? What do you want as ultimate in your life? If you've been around TGC for a while, you've you've heard us say, um, in answer to the question, what changes in someone's life when they become a follower of Jesus? And there's been a lot of like sort of cultural backlash in the last you know, five, ten, one year, six months of, of the, the divide between what Christians claim to, to say they believe and, and then how they end up acting so often in, in public. But when we've tried to answer the question, what changes about you when you become a follower of Jesus? Three words we've used to answer that question here at Trinity Grace is identity, desires, and rhythms. So who you are changes how you understand yourself and how you understand that God understands you. So many of us grew up uh, with a sense that God was fundamentally disappointed, angry, or frustrated with us. And to hear that God is bursting with love for you begins to change how you see God and how you see yourself. So what happens when you come to understand in a tangible way the way of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, your identity changes. And then out of that new identity, what you want begins to change. I used to want this set of things for my life. And now a few of them are beginning to be altered, are beginning to change color, are beginning to change shape, and now I want a different set of things for my life. Things I didn't used to care about at all, I'm suddenly beginning to care about in a strange way. Prayer and worship and, 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 and secret generosity and being with these, you know, these people, the narrative of my life is beginning to be altered by what I desire, and then that has to find a bearing in my rhythm and how I actually live. Because if my identity doesn't match my desires, there's discord in my soul. If my desires don't match the rhythms of my life, there's discord in my soul. Who you are, what you want, how you live. But it's so important. The order is so important because none of that changes in order to get God to love us. It changes because God has loved us. It changes, this passage says it changes because of what Jesus has done. And it says this imperishable, priceless gift has, been, has, has come to redeem us, to make us family. How you guys doing? You doing all right? 
I think behind the masks you're doing great, but I don't know. So if you nod your head, then I know it. I just a little bit. I think you're doing great. God is repairing this broken world because God loves this world more than you and I can possibly fathom. And the way he's doing that is he's redeeming and healing us as individuals and bringing us into a family that then gets to join in the healing and repairing of the world. Our church's vision and mission statement, joining God and the renewal of all things and the healing of the world and the redemption, a massive, huge vision and goal. How does it begin? On, on the daily, this love comes crashing into our hearts and we're directed by the Holy Spirit to join in what God is doing. And, and this grace of Jesus leads to a certain kind of life where Peter says, your attention, your attention, your attention is set on a hope that will not fail. Your character is shaped by desires for what is truly good, for what is truly life, for what is what ultimately will not disappoint. And then we are enmeshed in a, a life of deep love from the heart. So your attention, your desires, and your love. I want to show you these really quickly in the passage. And then I want to get out of your way so you can interact with God about what actually has your attention, what actually controls and shapes your desires, and where your love is truly being lived out in your life. So the first First one is Peter says your 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 hope can be set by your attention. Your hope can be set. That's an important thing. Your hope, like some of you know what it is to wake up crazy. I, I and I don't mean that you know like I I feel like I wake up crazy. Like there's just this amount of time from when my eyes first open before I actually get coffee and get the blood going. When it's just like these thoughts that are are bananas are just like I must quit my job. I must move to Montana. I must. I simply have to. Like, I'm, I, like all these bananas ideas just come crashing in. Like, I had the, the, like, it'll be my insecurity, but the volume turned to 11. What's up with that? Why do I wake up like that? I have to know that my hope can be set. I don't just have to inherit whatever mindset I happen to wake up with. I can give attention to putting my hope on something. I can preach to myself. You see this in the Psalms over and over again. David is like, oh, my soul, put your hope in God. Like, literally, he's waking up crazy. He's like, what am I going to do? Put it in there. <laughs> Therefore, with your minds alert and fully sober, set your hope on what? On grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So in light of everything he's already told us about new birth, living hope, resurrection, inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, watch out for how you think. Watch out for what you let settle in your mind. The actual phrase here for... Um, minds that are alert and fully sober. That's the NIV translation. The actual phrase in the original language is gird up the loins of your mind. Now, if you haven't girded up your loins in a while, I found a series of tutorial pictures for you. <laughs> this is how you do it. So you've got your robe. This guy's, look at these legs. What a guy. Uh, and, and basically, you can find this, uh, if you just gir, gir, Google how to gird up your loins, you can find this too if you can't see all this, the granular instructions there. But basically, you tuck in your robes, that's what it means, so that you can move freely, so that you can perhaps run, or that you could fight with a scimitar that you didn't seem to have in the other pictures. Once you've girded up your loins, you're also given a circular sword. This is pretty incredible. 
Peter is saying, do this with your mind. Tuck in your robes. Gather up the crazy thoughts that hit your head right when you open your eyes at the beginning of your day. The NIV words, they do get us going in the right direction. Let your minds be alert. Pay attention to your mind. It needs to be engaged. It needs to be ready. It needs to be, uh, and let them be fully sober. So let your minds be alert and then fully sober. What on earth does that mean? It doesn't just mean don't, don't be wildly drunk all the time. It means don't let your mind constantly dive off into numbing distractions. Let your mind be alert, ready and engaged, and don't let it, because it's going to want to, don't let it dive off into all these numbing distractions. Pay attention to what you pay attention to so that you can set your hope on grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. I think what Mara Thomas and Tim Wu and, and Will, maybe William Jennings even knew, as our society has gotten uh, increasingly um, used to having all these, all these distractions, there is a, a greater fight for our attention. There, is, there are attention merchants. We have an attention economy. There are people out there who are making a fortune based on getting you to give that 20 minutes that you meant to be doing your project and you've just given it to scrolling and now you've seen 30 or 4 or 55 of their ads. Right, your, your attention is up for grabs in our world. Pay attention to what you pay attention to. Modern psychology, ancient first century fishermen trying to people, help people know, know the way of Jesus. It's, what am I setting my hope on? For followers of Jesus, it's grace that is, that is to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Set your hope on what Jesus is going to do in you and what Jesus is going to reveal in the world. This this bumps us up against the theological reality we see in the New Testament over and over again, but we don't quite talk about enough. Salvation in the New Testament expression of it is something that happens in, in, in a, a, a past, a present, and a future tense. So um, if you want to say it crudely, I am saved, I am being saved, I, am, I will be saved. So I am saved. What Jesus has done has 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 brought about my adoption into the family of grace. On the cross, Jesus says, it is finished, and it is finished. Everything necessary for me to be brought into the family of God happened to Jesus on, on the cross. And then in his resurrection, I'm given a share in that. So my salvation is based on this past event. But my experience of that is, is a present reality. I am being saved. So the Holy Spirit is applying what Jesus has done to my life in a relational way that changes my character. I am saved, I am being saved, and then, and this is where the hope is meant to be said in this particular instance, is I am going to be saved. There is a me that you haven't seen yet, but that God has an eye towards. That we don't even know what we're going to be, but it is going to be revealed that we are the beloved son or daughter that we see in part now is going to be revealed in full glory. God is so thrilled about what you are going to become. He's thrilled about who you are now, absolutely, but he knows for you the best is yet to come, that you are speeding towards your true life. So he's saying every day, set your hope on this future grace that is rooted and founded in this past grace and is being expressed in this present grace. Set your hope by your attention. 
This is one of the discipleship practices of followers of Jesus, especially in trying, difficult, painful, suffering times. Set your hope by your attention on who God says you are and who God says he's making you to be. The second is your character. Be holy as I am holy. Impossible out of our own resources. But your character is shaped by your desires. As obedient children, do not conform to evil desires you, you had when you lived in ignorance. Because just as he who called you is holy, so, you, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For, do, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Some of us have a distorted view of holiness. We think of it as this, um, one, it's a word we barely ever use outside of a church context. And so it, it really depends on the tradition and the, and the church that we grew up in, how we come to understand this. But for many of us, it comes across like a rigid morality that is used to give people a sort of religious standing or hierarchy, often that it's used to control people's behavior. And so we, have, we, we say holy, but what we hear is holier than thou. Right, this performative religion where you have to appear a certain way in order to be accepted. And, and quite fr frankly, that's not what the scripture's talking about when it talks about holiness. Holiness is simply the quality of life that God has. Holiness is the nature of God's character. Holiness is God's set-apartness. If you want to get really simple, it's why God's life is not like anyone else's life. It's, it's a way of saying God is so thoroughly different than his creation. As amazing, as magnificent, as beautiful, as intricate, as detailed, as teeming as his creation is, God is still other. That's what it means by, by holy. And so you might say, oh, he's majestic in his perfection, and that, and that would be true. He's, he's you know, lavishingly loving, and that, that would be true. That there's a quality to God's revealed presence that can actually be quite intimidating and even dangerous if we don't have protection from God's mercy. There is a holiness, a quality of God's life. And then God, shockingly, once we get a grip on that, says, now, great, you've got it. I'm going to share my holiness yeah, it's going to be a family trait of my salvation. I'm going to make you this impossible thing that shares in the exact real granular quality of life that I have. My spiritual life is going to become your life. I'm literally going to put my spirit in you, and you're going to be holy. I want to say this. Whatever vision of holiness or idea comes to mind when you hear that, I want to tell you, holiness is the most creative, free, joyful, loving, purpose-drenched life on earth. It is a God life in the world. I love how Eugene Peterson puts this. I've come back to this over and over again in my own heart. This is him describing a holy life. We see what is possible. Anyone and everyone is able to live a, zest, a zestful life pause. I can't hear the word zestful without thinking about those commercials with the, the soap. Let's just acknowledge that for one second, and then we're going to come back to the quote. 
Zestfully clean. Amazing. Okay. Uh, See what is possible. Anyone and everyone is able to live a zestful life that spills out of the stereotyped containers that a sin-inhibited society provides. Such lives fuse spontaneity and purpose and green the desiccated landscape with meaning. And we see how it is possible by plunging into a life of faith, participating in what God initiates in each life, exploring what God is doing in each event. If you listen, you'll start to hear attention, desires, love. The people who share the God life are remarkable for the intensity which with, which with they live Godward. The thoroughness in which all the details of their lives are included in God's word to them. The thoroughness in which all the details are included, that's girding up the loins of your life. It's tucking in your robes and grabbing your scimitar. In God's action to them, it is these persons who are conscious Conscious is so important, who are conscious of participating in what God is saying and doing that are most human, most alive. These persons are evidence that none of us is required to live at this poor dying rate for another day, another hour. Do you know that your life in union with God, made holy by what Christ has done and filled with the Spirit, is meant to green the desiccated landscape with meaning? is meant to break out of all the stereotypes of a sin-inhibited society. Is the soil that you're growing in rich enough to grow the life that you want? And joy and fullness and love, because I'm guessing on many levels, just wanting to sell you something is not a powerful enough vision for your life. And this is God's vision for your life, that you would be holy as he is holy creative, free, full, joyous, purpose-drenched, loving. So how do we begin to be holy as God is holy? This says, I'm not making this up, it says begin in the arena of your desires. Just like you paid really close attention to what you let settle in your mind or what let you go on in the ticker tape of your thoughts, pay very close attention as to what you begin to marinate on as desires in your heart. What are you coming to want on the daily basis? Pay attention to what, you, what lives in your desires and what's shaping what you want. Do not conform, is how the passage says it, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. That sounds like an intimidating sentence. I think what it's saying there is don't live on the desires that you had that were shaped in a world where God wasn't taken into account. So much of the, the narratives that are surrounding us, the narratives that crop up in our hearts aren't taking God into account in the fullness of who God is and don't let your desires be shaped by that story. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. This means live as if God is your father, not just your natural family, not just the story that you inherited. There's sort of two parentages being described in this story, the natural and the supernatural. Peter is saying, I don't want you to live an empty way of life. My guess is most of you don't want to live an empty way of life. But every single day, 
from my own thoughts or from the world or from temptation. I am offered a whole host of desires that are from an empty way of life that may look initially appealing but utterly fail to deliver at the level of my soul, at the level of my soul satisfaction. I was just, I, I mean, you could make, make a long list and go through the scriptures, but like boasting, or gossip, or, or, or lust, or worry, or trying to control things with anger. Just think about these, right? Boasting is my natural way of improving my, the perception of my identity in your eyes. And so I'm trying to lift myself up with my words. And even if I'm initially annoying to you, the, the, the desire in me is that my identity be lifted up in your eyes. That there be pro- a, a way of, there's, it's entertaining, there's a sort of like deliciousness to it, but it's sharing information about other people that drag our perception of them down in our minds so that then correspondingly we feel slightly elevated, right? And in church we drape this with prayer requests or whatever, but we do the same thing. And we just, we, we begin to slightly enjoy this empty way of life, which is letting someone else be dragged down in our hearts by gossiping about them. Lust, right, is a separation of my natural, true, physical longings for for physical and sexual intimacy, but I'm tearing apart the person. I'm saying, I want your body, but not your, your personhood. I want your body, but not your soul. And that tears at them, but it also tears at us. It is desires formed from a different, empty way of life. Worry, right, to spin out all day on all these possibilities of what might happen. That is a desire founded from an empty way of life. If I begin instead to transform my worries into prayer, now I'm doing what this passage is talking about. I'll tell you what, like, I had a very New York moment this week uh, where I was crossing the street and I was looking at my phone. I was already across the street, mind you. And this person is turning and like shouts at me to pay attention. And my wife's eyes are really big. And I just explained to them, without a scimitar, but I explained to them in very colorful language that I thought they were, their assessment of the situation was wrong. And then I started chasing them down the street with my coffee, explaining why the situation, like, and it wasn't a very Jesus moment, but I realized there's something in me that wants to control small situations With anger, my son's pointing at me right now. Let's just get real. I've got to pay attention to what I set my mind on, how I begin my day, what I give my attention to. I've got to pay attention to when I find this unconscious desire beginning to crop up in me that I can control a situation by matching the energy I'm finding with anger and then people will have to adjust to what I'm putting out. That That is a desire formed from my empty way of life. It's not the Jesus way. This is getting down to the real stuff, folks. I can eat, like, attention and desire. I want to tell you, I bet you can easily spend half your day distracted and the other half of your day pursuing desires that are not going to deliver at a soul level. And that's your day. And you got a bunch of them, but you don't know how many. I can spend two hours scrolling nonsense and two hours pursuing a desire that cannot really give me what I'm hoping for. And my life is going by in these blocks of time. So Peter says, set your hope on God who will not fail and ask God to shape your desires 
to be like God's desires. When you come to want the things that God wants, you're getting near that instruction to be holy as God is holy. And while all that's happening, just so you know that it's not happening in your head, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor deeply from the heart. That's where this passage ends. If you're tripping up on like, I don't know about my attention, I don't know about my desires, well, hey, get busy loving your neighbor. Like, just, just get outside of yourself a little. Like, let's practice a little blissful self-forgetfulness by paying attention to someone else for a little while. Your love, as weak as it may feel in any given moment, is, this passage says, is, is sourced from something that is enduring and will never end. Your love is sustained by an enduring source. Through him, uh, through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. The... the, the Clock back there says, I've been preaching for 99 minutes, and that is not correct. <laughs> that is wrong. Just have a glance if you want. It's back there, 99.59. I'm way under that, folks, way under. No, don't fix the clock. It's totally fine. I'm finishing. That's what I'm saying. I'm wrapping it up. If you're hot, I'm also hot. We're wrapping up. Here's what I want to say. This sentence is so interesting and helpful. Now that you've purified yourselves, by obeying the truth, so you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Basically, when you come into this new way of life by Jesus, by the gospel, things finally become clear. You realize the only thing worth rooting my life in is love. Love is the way. Love is God's character and nature and, and the way he's invited us into. So I have sincere love for, one another, for other people. What should I do? Love one another deeply from the heart. Act upon your love. Put it into tangible action. You have this, this, this deep source of love, and so love each other deeply, and know that your source is never going to run out. Yes, you should take Sabbath. Yes, you should do self-care, but you should not buy into the lie that you only have the resources that you carefully manicure and take care of in this world. Actually, that we are drawing from a well when it comes to resources for love that is never going to run dry. We can endure by something that endures. And after the last two years, I know some of you are absolutely spent and deep love feels exhausting. But I want to tell you, your source for going on in love has a name. And Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Draw from the source. He says to his disciples, let my love be in you, and you in my love. The passage ends basically saying in the, in the most poetic terms, please don't try to do this on your own. As great as our stories are, all people are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I want to tell you, church, that's not just the Bible. 
though the words of Scripture endure forever. Remember how the gospel begins in the gospels? What does the word do? It becomes flesh and dwells among us. The word of the Lord endures forever. The word became flesh and dwells among us. And the spirit of that word lives in our hearts and is our unending, enduring source for loving one another deeply from the heart. So here's how we close. What has your attention? What is shaping your desires? And what has your love? I believe God wants to do some ministry to us right now uh, as, as we end this s- service. And uh, we, the band can start making their way. I'm just going to give you a couple of ways that the Holy Spirit might want to minister to you. And if I don't name yours and you're feeling something, hey, go with that. But I believe some of us may be in a place where you know in this time of your life you have to tangibly put away some distractions, For some of you, the most holy response you could make to this sermon is to turn your phone off for some period of time this week. It's to turn your television off. It's to turn your screen off. I feel massively convicted by that myself. For some of us, uh, putting away distraction is going to just mean turning off the avenue by which those distractions find their way into our minds. So that's invitation number one. Some of you need to make a commitment to God by the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit's help to to put away distraction. Second, some of us need to name and release some desires that go with an old way of life. This passage says don't conform to these evil desires. And they're evil, not because they don't initially seem appealing, they're evil because they don't deliver on their promises. Essentially, the desires themselves are liars. They're not able to satisfy you at the soul level. And naming them is really important, right? I don't know yours, but maybe it's boasting or worry or controlling things with anger or or lust or greed. But you name it, and then you release it to God. Name and release these desires that go with a different type of life. That's second. And the last is is to ask for and follow prompts of love. Basically to pray this, God, show me how to love those around me deeply from the heart. Show me how to do that. And then a commitment now that you'll follow through on later to take the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So when God puts that person in your mind, you go ahead and text them. You go ahead and call them. You go ahead and send the seamless. You go ahead and say, let's meet up. You you go ahead and give them the embrace. You go ahead and offer forgiveness first. The three responses for invitation are put away distraction, name and release these evil desires, and then ask for and follow prompts of love to love one another deeply from the heart. So we're just going to have a time of worship and, and ministry time. And the way it's going to work is, is the band's going to play. There'll be opportunity for you to sing. Some of you are going to need to come down and just kneel on this rug because the posture sitting in the, in the wooden chair is not going to work for you. And you just need to come and interact with God on your own. 
Some of you, if you want to come forward and receive prayer, there'll be people that would love to pray with you over any of these things. Some of you may just turn to the people right with you and and pray over these things. But what way is God asking you to respond by the Holy Spirit? Put away distraction. Name and release desires that are not of the kingdom. and And ask for and follow prompts of love from the Spirit. We're just going to worship. We're going to respond as the Spirit is leading. This space is open in the front. If you come down, someone may just come by and lay a hand on your shoulder and pray for you and bless you and the faith that you're, that you're, that you're demonstrating. If you want to pray for one another, let's, let's have the courage to do that. The priesthood of believers means we can minister to one another in a powerful way, the presence and mercy and love of God. Let's go ahead and stand. Heavenly Father, lead your church by your spirit right now. Show us the ways we are meant to respond. May we make commitments of faith to you in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit.